Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. The football season is coming, and there's no better place to start making every moment more than with FanDuel. I just love using this app. It's super user-friendly and safe. They have such a deep repertoire of odds and markets for every sport, and they have same-game parlays. You guys remember the same-game parlays that Liv Moods and I were throwing out during the NBA playoffs for the volume. Those were a ton of fun. All around, it's by far the best sports gambling experience I've come into contact with. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. Again, promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had a great weekend. We have a packed show for you today and a packed week overall. We have a fresh 
report from Sham Sharania talking about a potential new suitor for Kevin Durant coming out of the Western Conference. We're going to dive into that a little bit. There was also a little nugget in that report having to do with Kyrie Irving that directly affects the Los Angeles Lakers. So we're going to spend some time on that as well. After that, we're going to be going into a bunch of follow-up stuff on my top 25 list that we did over the course of the last month. The second half of today's show, I'm going to be going over the five archetypes of NBA superstars. Why? Because the biggest thing that you guys seem to disagree with from my list was having Jokic, the back-to-back MVP, down at number seven. Now, to be clear, I don't dislike Jokic. There are players in the league that I dislike. Jokic isn't one of them. This is strictly a basketball philosophy thing with the way that I see the game. So I wanted to spend some time diving into the archetypes of stars, what sets, what the advantages that big men produce, the disadvantages that big men produce, and why I'm lower on them compared to the other types of stars in the league. Then on Wednesday, we're going to be doing a mailbag episode. So you're going to want to go to my Twitter feed. I will tweet out later today a question asking for mailbag questions. I want you guys to drop underneath that tweet any questions or comments you guys have about my top 25 list. Also for Wednesday, one of my biggest pet peeves about lists in general is people typically just yell and scream and be trolls, yell at the, uh, you know, write in the mentions like, this is BS or this is stupid. Why is this guy there? And they never actually just tell you why they disagree and actually make a case for why somebody else should be in that spot. So what I'd like to do is give you guys an opportunity to do that and get shouted out on Wednesday's show. So I'm going to be taking two or three of you guys who go under that mailbag tweet and break down why you think I was wrong about something. Do it quickly. It needs to be in the tw- one or two tweets, but explain why you disagree with one of the decisions I made on my list and the two or three of you guys that make the most sense, that are most reasonable. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not unreasonable. I love to hear from other smart basketball minds and to try to add to my knowledge of the game. I want to give you guys a chance to see what you can offer there. So for Wednesday, again, mailbag questions and any disagreements you have with the list, drop them on my Twitter feed under the mailbag tweet that we send out later today. All right, before we get started, you guys know the drill. Follow me on Twitter at underscore, underscore Jason LT so you can see show announcements and that mailbag tweet that I just talked about. Remember to subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you guys don't miss any more of our videos. And then last but not least, if you miss one of these shows and you can't get back to YouTube to finish it, just go wherever you find your podcasts under Hoops Tonight, and you will find the audio form typically a few hours after these shows go on YouTube. All right, so we have a report from Shams, and, and it's a lot of recycled info, right? Like Boston's still in first place, Toronto and Miami are the other two primary teams considered a threat. I have no idea why Miami keeps getting mentioned in that list. I don't see how they're they're uh, peaking Brooklyn's interest, but clearly they are. So Pat Riley must have something up his sleeve there that is interesting to Brooklyn. But it's a lot of recycled info and a whole lot of no trades happening, right? But there were two pieces of information in that article that were very interesting that I wanted to touch on today. First of all, is the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies have entered the chat, so to speak, and are making an offer for Kevin Durant. Now, I don't think it's a very serious offer because they're not even including Desmond Bain. And I like Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain's a damn good basketball player. One of the best shooters that we have in the league right now. 
an excellent slasher because of how big and strong he is that when he gets ahead of steam going down the lane, it's really tough for people to get in front. Also, his shooting threat makes people chase him off the line. Desmond Bain is a damn good basketball player, but I don't think he's a star. I think he's a lesser version of Clay Thompson on the high end of his potential. So I don't think Memphis is all that serious if they're not willing to include Desmond Bain in these types of discussions for a player the caliber of Kevin Durant. I, my guess is, is that they're just kind of feeling things out there just like any other team is around the league. I think Memphis fits an archetype pretty, uh, an archetype pretty simpler, uh, si- similar to Golden State in the sense that, like I talked to you guys about, there's kind of two strategies. The organic build route, right? That's the Golden State route. You grow things in-house. Through competence, you stay fresh each year by adding talent. Your players stick around for a really long time, so there's great continuity. You have a continuity advantage over everybody else in the league. You build a really strong local fan base. You start to generate a bunch of revenue from that. That gives you the flexibility to potentially go over the cap to re-sign players. That's that proven method, right? But then there's the push-your-chips-in-the-middle method, right? And Memphis kind of fits that mold too, technically, right? They're a very good team that has assets, that's not quite good enough to win an NBA championship. There is a pathway that has been laid out by Masai Ujiri and the Toronto Raptors in 2019. You can have a 59-win team with a damn good player that's leading and push chips in the middle, potentially risking uh, a blowback from your fan base, and you can put together a team that has enough talent to win a championship. There's risk player could leave after you trade for him. The player could be a malcontent, but it could also work out and you could have the trophy just like Kawhi Leonard and the 2019 Toronto Raptors did. Now, typically that's my favorite strategy. Like I told you guys, because of the current situation and dynamic between players and owners, I think players are fickle. They change their mind every couple of years. So banking on loyalty, I think is a mistake under most circumstances. However, This Memphis team seems to have some of those ingredients like Golden State does, and they have an opportunity potentially to recapture that. So this is a rare example of a team for me that's in that zone to potentially make an all-in trade where I would not make the all-in trade. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of the most exciting defensive players in the league right now, and honestly flashed quite a bit of offensive potential again in this postseason run, knocking down threes and attacking closeouts because he's so damn big and strong going to the basket. I think John Morant is going to be the best hyper-athletic guard star archetype that we've seen in the league. I think he's got potential to be better than any of the guys who came before him. I'm very, very excited about Memphis. I just don't think putting Kevin Durant in that mix is for the best. Especially when you factor in the specific scenario that caused Kevin Durant to want to leave Golden State. If you remember, it was about the attention that Steph was getting, the way that the fan base treated him. The fan base is going to be behind John Morant in Memphis, not Kevin Durant. Not that they won't support him. I believe he'd be welcomed in. Everything would be fine. I just don't necessarily think Kevin Durant would be super happy in that situation. I think he wants to go somewhere where he has a clear-cut, I'm-the-guy type of advantage. I think that's just the point he's at in his career. So it was interesting to see Memphis there. I think Memphis is an interesting potential for a KD trade, but I think it makes more sense for them to go the homegrown Golden State Warriors route. They've already made it a significant amount of distance down that path. 
they should stay on target there. Plus, I don't think they're all that serious if they're not including a guy like Desmond Bain. So the interesting thing here is, why hasn't KD been traded yet? And there's really two possibilities. Either Brooklyn is dragging things out, just like they did with James Harden, in hopes of getting a better offer, like the Ben Simmons one that ended up coming from Philly. I don't really see that comparison there, because for starters, James Harden is not even in the same stratosphere of Kevin Durant as a player, right? And then also, during the Harden sweepstakes early on, there weren't any good offers. There are damn good offers on the table for Kevin Durant right now. I I think I had Jalen Brown 16 on my list. I think he's easily a top 20 player in the NBA who's ascending, who was arguably the best player Boston had in the NBA Finals and, and had a lot of really good games in this NBA playoffs. He was the best clutch player in this NBA playoffs, Jalen Brown. He's the or the best fourth quarter player, I should say. So Jalen Brown, like, th- there's a good offer on the table for Brooklyn right now that they're passing on. It, this isn't like J- th- uh, when they when when they finally got James Harden to fetch someone the likes of Ben Simmons. That was Ben Simmons was the best player that was mentioned in any conversations of trades surrounding James Harden. So I don't really see the parallel there. And then there's so much potential negative that comes with it. We've talked at length about the toxicity at training camp. If you drag this out in hopes of getting a better player, you will ruin a significant chunk of this season. You're going to have young players and other role players sitting in in the film room with Steve Kerr at the front and Sean Mark standing on the side and Kevin Durant sitting behind you, the guy who is openly said basically and and, and and basically stamped by the owner that this is a real thing that Kevin Durant said, that he doesn't like those two guys. He doesn't like Sean Marks. He doesn't like Steve Nash. That's toxicity. There is an after here for Brooklyn. There is a phase of this process where you're detached from KD and Kyrie and you can build the basketball culture that you dream of building. Anytime you wait, you're just delaying the after. You're delaying how long it's going to take for you to get to that period. Now, again, if the offers were absolute garbage and there was nothing you could get, by all means, hold out. See if you can get something decent. There are good offers on the table for Kevin Durant right now, and they are passing on them. So this, to me, feels like cutting off your nose to spite your face. It feels like you're not happy about the dynamic of the situation. It feels like you're not happy about the power and leverage that Kevin Durant have in this situation. And it feels like you're dragging it out just for the sake of dragging it out. I don't really understand. The second possibility here, and the one that I think is more likely, is that the Boston offers in first place, and they're simply waiting until a pre-decided deadline. Like they're, Let's call it September 15th. They might be sitting there going, okay, September 15th, if we don't have anything better, we're taking our best offer, which is Boston. That's confidential information probably for for negotiation purposes, and they hope they can pull something more out of one of these teams before then, but if nothing happens, they pull the trigger on September 15th. There's literally no point in rushing. The only guy it really affects is Kevin Durant and how late he has to move <laughs> into the summer, right? Uh, but I, I think that's the more likely scenario. This whole idea that they would actively sabotage their own rebuild 
or bring Kevin Durant and Kyrie into a toxic training camp, that to me seems way less likely than we're just waiting a little bit longer to see if we can get something a little bit better. So my guess is that sometime in mid-September, this trade ends up going down. And my guess is it ends up being Boston because I don't think Toronto is going to throw in Scotty Barnes. I don't think New Orleans is going to be able to throw in Brandon Ingram or, or, or Zion Williamson. So that means Boston's the natural fit. Um, so there was a, a, a bit in there from, uh, from Shams about Kyrie saying that Brooklyn has made it clear to rival executives that they intend to keep Kyrie. So the question is, are they telling the truth or are they bluffing? I once again believe they're bluffing because of simple logic. If they are keeping KD long-term, then yeah, it makes sense to keep Kyrie. Because then you can probably sign him to a deal next summer that's on better terms because maybe he was more available this year or whatever. But they're not keeping KD. KD wants to be traded. And I find it highly unlikely that they get full buy-in from KD to not just come to camp, but to recommit to the Nets long-term. That doesn't seem likely. So that means they are eventually going to trade KD. If you are eventually going to trade KD and you're letting Kyrie finish his contract here, that's bad asset management. Because Kyrie probably feels insulted that you didn't give him a deal last summer. He's going to want a long-term deal next summer. You're probably not going to give it to him because you just didn't give it to him. So he's probably going to go somewhere else looking for that big deal. And the Lakers are going to probably do what they can to try to offer it. So the reality is, is Kyrie is an asset that you are losing after the season no matter what. And the Lakers reportedly are willing to give you two first-round draft picks for him. So do you really think that the Nets think they can get KD to recommit long-term? No. Do you really think that they plan on burning an asset worth two first-round picks to lose him for nothing next summer? I don't think so. So the reality is, is this is just another attempt to reestablish negotiating leverage over the Los Angeles Lakers, I, I suppose. I don't, I don't really see the point. Why in the world would they bring Kyrie Irving back on an expiring deal when he's going to want the same damn deal you just didn't give to him? It, it, just, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, the, the Brooklyn Kyrie dynamic has been the most, like, it, it's been the NBA just, like, truly thinking that their fans are stupid. Because the things that they've tried to put off on us in these reports break down under the simplest bit of logic. I've always found it hilarious. So for the Lakers, let's say let's say for the sake of argument that they are going to keep Kyrie, let him finish the season, and then go sign somewhere else next year and lose him for nothing. It does not appear that Buddy Heald and Miles Turner from the Pacers are being actively pursued. So that trade is still on the table for the Lakers. The Jazz are actively trying to trade Donovan Mitchell. I think he's going to end up in New York sooner than later. There's potential there that a three-team deal takes shape. And when that three-team deal takes shape, you might see those Jazz role players that the Lakers were targeting sent elsewhere. But that doesn't really matter that much because I think the Lakers prefer the, the Indiana Pacers deal. So 
I don't think you need to rush to the Indiana Pacers deal because no one else is actively shopping for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. So they can continue to wait and see what happens with this Brooklyn thing. And if it gets precariously close to camp and they still haven't traded Kyrie and they still haven't traded KD and they're going to foolishly embark on this season with those two guys under control, then you can default to this Indiana Pacers deal. Obviously, if you had risk of losing both, then it changes that dynamic. But I haven't seen any reporting or any indication that teams are fighting to try to get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. So if the Nets end up sitting on Kyrie, the Lakers will have a backup plan there. It is still in their best interest to wait on that situation and see if Kyrie becomes available. Because once again, like we talked about, it's simple logic. Why in the world would the Nets keep Kyrie Irving if they knew they were going to lose him next summer and he's worth two first-round draft picks right now? It's simple logic. They're going to trade him as soon as the KD trade goes through. The Lakers are the logical fit. You hold out there. If it gets to mid-September, nothing's happened. Then you call up the Pacers and you see if you can make a deal for Miles Turner or Buddy Heald. Bottom line is, is like I was watching another uh, uh, clip from that Seattle Pro-Am the other day and obviously got shut down early because of some wet floor. We've had a ton of humidity here in Tucson too because of the monsoons. It's crazy. You get basketball players playing in humidity. They just start to sweat more and it just gets all over the floor and then people are slipping all over the place. I played in a game yesterday. We spent half the day wiping the, down the damn floor. Uh, but in that game, LeBron had a nasty left-handed alley-oop dunk and I was watching that and I'm sitting there thinking like, this is insane how good this guy still is. And last year, there were three players in the entire NBA that averaged at least 25 points, five rebounds, and five assists on at least 45% from the field and 35% from three, which is low markers, by the way. 25 points per game is not that crazy in the scoring world. Five rebounds and five assists, those are pretty achievable markers. 45% from the field and 35% from three, those are pretty achievable markers. It's KD, Luka, and LeBron. Those are the only three guys who did that last year. That's how good LeBron still is. And so the reality of this situation here is they, the Lakers have to feel some urgency to take advantage of that level of player being under their control. Even Anthony Davis, after taking two months off, was guilt-tripped by Twitter into finally getting into the gym, and he appears to be having his most active offseason since he came to L.A., so you've got potentially Anthony Davis coming into camp in shape for the first time since 2019. And you've got LeBron James still looking damn good. Feel some damn urgency here. Understand understand that, that something has to be done. I believe they're going to do something, but I certainly hope that they don't talk themselves like Brooklyn into bringing the situation to camp and see what happens. That would just be such a, a reckless. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. 
Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster growing hair with less shedding. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops, that's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Hoops. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Waste. So the number one thing that you guys disagreed with from my top 25 list was having Nikola Jokic, the back-to-back MVP and world-destroying basketball player that he is, way back at number seven on my list as opposed to somewhere higher. Now, every time this has uh, been brought up, I tell you guys, it's just a personal basketball philosophy thing. I don't value what big men do on a basketball court as much as I value what perimeter players do, particularly big perimeter wings in this league. But every time it's come up, we've only kind of glanced by the topic or briefly touched on it. I've never had a chance to really dive into this concept. So what I want to do today is I want to go over the five archetypes of NBA superstars, give you guys some examples of players that fit into those archetypes, talk a little bit about their typical strengths and weaknesses, then I can get into exactly why I view big men as less valuable as the big perimeter players that are in this league. And last but not least to the Jokic fans, don't be super upset about number seven because the number on the list has a lot more to do with how stacked the league is with talent. This is a league that has LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Luka Doncic and Kawhi Leonard. And you guys get the point. There's just the league is more talented than it's ever been. So I wouldn't think of it as number seven the same way as it was 10, 15 years ago. We have 10, 15 legitimate star level players in this league. And this is just the way it works when you're trying to rank those guys. And again, this is just my take on it. Some people view Jokic as more valuable. I view him as less valuable. Let's get into the weeds and figure out why. Um, So as far as the superstar archetypes go, I had five. The hyper-athletic guard, the big scoring wing, the big playmaking wing, the center, and the aliens. Now, for aliens, I put down Steph Curry and Giannis. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about them. They just don't fit into any of these other molds. Steph is many things. He is not a hyper-athletic guard. 
Giannis is some people call him a center, but he's not really. But some people call him a wing, but he's not really. But he's bringing the ball up the floor, but he's dunking on everybody. Like none of it actually makes any sense with either of those two guys. And for the record, I think they're the two best players in the world right now. So I definitely don't mean that as a sign of disrespect. We're not going to spend too much time on them, primarily going to focus on the first four. So the hyper athletic guard, the this is John Morant. This was Russell Westbrook. This was John Wall. This was Derrick Rose. We've seen this archetype come through the league a million times. It's a freak athlete that no one can keep in front off the dribble because they're the quickest players in the entire league, which presents a huge mismatch problem and leads to all of the ridiculous highlights that we see from these guys. That specific dynamic, that inability to contain them off the dribble because they're quicker than everybody leads to a bunch of cascading positive effects. Puts refs in a bind. They have no idea how to officiate these guys when they go flying through the lane and they're smaller than everybody and every bit of contact shows up more on them than it does on other players. It requires defenses to abandon their core principles to pack the paint, which ends up giving up a ton of open threes. And most of these guys at various points in their careers have had long, extensive stretches of great playmaking because of what defenses have had to do to try to keep them out of the paint. However, they typically can't shoot. John Morant is the best shooter of the group, and that's not saying much, although I do think that's the big reason why he does have potential to enter higher ranks of the league that the other guys never did. And they're typically terrible defensive players. Even the better athletes of the group, John Wall and Russell Westbrook, never really put together consistent stretches of good defense in this league. And for the most part, all four of those guys have been bad. And John Morant in particular was really bad in this playoff run. I actually view this as the least valuable superstar archetype. The hyper-athletic small guard and for all the good they bring, there's just so much bad that holds them back that I view them as the least valuable of the uh, uh, of the superstar archetypes. The next is the big scoring wing. So this is like Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. You guys get the point. Big guys, typically between 6'6 and 6'9, can dribble the hell out of the basketball and can score from any spot on the floor. These guys can do some mismatch hunting too. It's not the same type of mismatch problem that the super quick guards uh, present, but they can attack smaller guards, particularly in post-up situations or shooting over the top, and they can attack slow-footed bigs if they can pull them away from the basket and try to drive around them. The big plus with these big scoring wings is they're typically immune to spacing concerns. So almost every other player that we'll talk about requires space to operate, but these guys are players that specialize in shooting over the top of defense. So who cares if you pack the paint if what I do for a living is shoot over the top of you? These guys and their immunity to spacing concerns allows you to play role players that are better defensive players, better rebounders, better athletes, maybe lesser shooters because that spacing doesn't matter as much to them as it does to other types of stars around the league. They also typically are dominant perimeter defensive players because they're great athletes. Kevin Durant's a little bit different here. He's not as good on the perimeter, but he's an excellent rim protector, but he's also much taller than the other guys on this list. But Kawhi and Paul George, classic examples. They're freak athletes that devote their resources and time and effort to becoming great defensive players. And as a result, they can impact games a great deal as perimeter defensive players. But they're usually pretty average to below average playmakers. They see the game through the lens of creating their own shot. 
rather than through the lens of creating their team shots. So that means they can get tunnel vision from time to time, fail to understand the rhythm and flow of the game, and they can take some bad shots, right? They're also dependent on their shots going in in order for their impact to truly be felt. So when you rely on knocking down pull-up jumpers over the top of defense for a good percentage of your offense, all it takes is for you to have a bad shooting night and a good amount of your impact goes out the window. That's what happened with KD against Boston. His pull-up jumper left him and suddenly his impact was massively limited. He ends up getting swept. Kawhi against Denver in the bubble in 2020. His jumper stops falling, particularly in fourth quarters. Doesn't have another punch that he can go to. His impact gets limited. Suddenly, Jokic outplays him, right? So these big scoring wings, just like any of the other archetypes, come with uh, pluses and minuses. The big minus there is they are dependent on shots going in for their impact to be felt. The big playmaking wing. This is Luka Doncic or LeBron James. James Harden in his prime would have factored into this list as well, but he's no longer at that level. They can score nearly as well as the big scoring wings. It just looks different. They usually rely a little bit more on size and strength than they do on skill. Um, They have some of the same matchup punting potential as the big scoring wings, so they can attack smaller perimeter players in post-up situations, or they can attack slower-footed bigs if they pull them away from the basket. They keep role players engaged and confident by persistently feeding them in their sweet spots on the floor. They are offensive engines. They don't have tunnel vision looking for their own shot. They look for their team to get shots. They typically are more reactive rather than predetermining what they're going to do. They're typically making reads rather than just looking to score. This creates spacing for them. Their passing ability, their relentless willingness to make reads keeps them in single coverage opportunities because teams are scared to help, which is what allows them to be super efficient. Luca and LeBron are so good at that specifically. However, they have such a huge offensive workload that they tend to take possessions off on the defensive end of the floor. Because guys like Kawhi and Paul George don't have a ton of playmaking responsibility, and because they usually give up the basketball when they're not actively looking to score, they have a little bit more energy for the defensive end of the floor. Luka takes just about damn near every defensive possession off. LeBron, to his credit, has had extensive stretches of his career almost a decade earlier where he was a great defensive player and in high leverage situations typically turns it up on that end of the floor and can be an impact defensive player. But that's a typical thing that happens. Happened to James Harden, happened to Luka Doncic, happened to LeBron for long stretches. They have such a huge offensive workload that they tend to let go of the defensive rope. The last thing with these kinds of, uh, this archetype is they're highly dependent on competent role players particularly attacking closeouts. So either knocking down threes in spot-up situations or attacking that closeout to extend the advantage as the defense is in rotation. Of all of the archetypes, I think the big playmaking wing depends the most on competent role players to reach the peak of their impact. Centers. So this is Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis. I'd even include Carl Towns on this list. All four of these guys made my top 25 players list. They are a massive mismatch problem against almost every living defender because the league went smaller. We swapped out big, strong power forwards that were all built like Drew Gooden for another perimeter player. So the league got faster and smaller. Most of the centers we see now are vertical spacers, more mobile, more thin, right? So as a result, there's just very few bodies in the league that can hang with these guys. 
And as a result, they are a massive mismatch problem on every single possession. Similar to the hyper-athletic guards, this forces teams to abandon their core defensive concepts to construct a custom defense to deal with these massive mismatch problems, usually double-teaming every single time, packing the paint at all costs. This takes time to figure out, too. So one of these days, when it, if Jokic does end up winning a title, I think this will be a big part of how he does it. It'll be so difficult for teams to adjust to how to guard him that he might be able to get an early series lead that he can hold on to. None of them have been able to pull that off yet, but we will see. They operate close to the rim, so they're less prone to bad shooting nights. Like we talked about with these, uh, these uh, big scoring wings, they're immune to spacing because they shoot over the top, but there's no guarantee that they're going to shoot well every single night. As a matter of fact, it's expected that they won't on a handful of nights in every single playoff series, right? As a big man, if you're operating with most of your shot attempts between, you know, like seven, seven to 10 feet from the rim, you're just going to shoot a higher percentage more consistently and you're less prone to the nightmare bad shooting nights where you go five for 22 or anything like that. They can protect the rim if they're allowed to stay there. I wouldn't count Carl Towns in this group, but yeah, if you let Anthony Davis or Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid just camp around the basket, they will cause problems for you if you repeatedly drive into them. However, they are slow-footed, so they struggle in transition and if you spread them out in a five-out dribble attack. They typically can only play one style. Bigs and guards on this list, or excuse me, wings and guards on this list, they can play fast, they can play slow. The wings on this list can operate from different spots on the floor. They are malleable and can adjust their games to the dynamics happening around them. Big men cannot do that, at least not to the same extent. They typically need the game to be slow. They typically like to operate out of the same spots on the floor. You know, Jokic out of the high post and beat out of the low post, right? They're a little bit more stuck in their ways. Now, Jokic has some transition ability as a play starter, getting rebounds and starting the break as a great outlet passer. That's to his credit. Anthony Davis is kind of immune to all of the, the foot speed stuff. He can cover ground and perimeter, and he does run the floor in transition really well and gets stuff from LeBron over the top, quick post-ups in transition and things like that. So it's not a hard or fast rule, but generally they can only play one style. They're susceptible to fatigue as they're running up and down the floor. Again, Anthony Davis is kind of immune to this, but Carl Towns and Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, if you get them in a track meet, they will be the first ones to break. They're inefficient away from the rim. This is not Carl Towns. This is the other three, but Anthony Davis, Jokic in this past season, and Embiid overall, as they get further away from the basket, they get very inefficient. So they're susceptible if you pack the paint to going through long extended periods of missing shots. And then most don't handle the ball or pass it very well. This is why I think Jokic is the best of the bunch. He's the guy that has the high-level playmaking that these guys don't have. But their inability to pass the ball and their inability to dribble the basketball typically means they have to be play finishers rather than play starters. They need people to get them into their preferred spots on the floor or they can't be as effective. That's a, those are general rules for bigs. We're going to dive into it a little bit more with Jokic here in a minute. And then your aliens like Giannis and Steph, even they have some weaknesses. I won't dive deep into them because we just did this for our player, ra uh, player rankings, but Giannis typically needs to play with a shot maker, someone that can hit shots over the top because in late game situations, he struggles to shoot over the top of defenders. And then Steph needs smart role players. 
because of the fact that he creates attention away from the rim. He needs guys that can put the ball on the floor and run quick three-on-twos and quick four-on-threes, things along those lines. And then obviously Steph can't deeply impact games defensively because of his lack of athleticism. If I had to rank them in order, I'd put playmaking wings at number one, scoring wings at number two, bigs at number three, and then hyper-athletic guards at number four. As much as I am down on bigs, I'm even more down on hyper-athletic guards. I think they become exceptionally predictable in the playoffs and easier to game plan for. Their defensive issues become an issue. They're easy to attack in mismatch situations. I'm lower on hyper-athletic guards. So why am I lower on bigs? So first of all, slow-footedness is really easy to game plan against. You instruct your wings to run the floor on every missed shot, and you instruct your rebounders to make quick outlet passes and deliberately make an effort to be aggressive early in the clock. Even if you miss shots, setting the tone of the game as an up-and-down track meet, even if it affects your own efficiency for small bursts, it will eventually lead the big men to fatiguing, and you will start to get easier and easier opportunities there. Play five perimeter players, and you can force the big to repeatedly guard off the dribble. You will get dribble penetration. Then the big man will have to guard in rotation, and you will find openings. It's about a guarantee. Jokic, if you can let him sit in a drop coverage and you drive into him, he can be impactful as a defensive player around the rim. But Golden State in this playoff run and everyone else who plays against Jokic, if you can pull him higher out of his drop so that he has to come to the level of the screen or to switch and cover individually in switches, you will go right around him. And Steph repeatedly went right around him. And it's not just Steph that can do that. Just about any competent ball handler in the league will be able to beat Jokic off the dribble. Once you beat him off the dribble, what happens? Help has to come. Once help has to come, then what does Jokic have to do? He has to sprint across the floor to get to another shooter as he covers in rotation. Now you're testing his foot speed again. If you go five out against these types of players, you will get dribble penetration and you will get high quality shots as a result. They have legitimate defensive weaknesses in these uh, playoff situations. Think of it like this. Slow-footed wings and guards get attacked. Like, remember when Kyle Korver was playing on the Cavs, how frequently he would get attacked? With the Utah Jazz, how they try to pull Boyan Bogdanovich away from the rim and attack him? Every slow-footed player in the NBA gets attacked. These guys are exceptionally slow-footed, so it's even more exaggerated in that, in that, uh, in that regard. You're going to give up some baskets as a size mismatch. But the way I look at it is there's not a player you can leave in single coverage against Jokic anywhere in the league, really. Not a player that's going to consistently stop him. So you're probably going to have to throw extra bodies to him anyway. And at least if you run your personnel in a, 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 with the priority towards perimeter players, you'll be able to attack him on the other end. That arrangement will work out with, for you in the long run. They will score baskets against mismatches on offense. But the dynamic of the game will take on a track meet feel, and in the long run, you will get better shots because of that fatigue and lack of foot speed. Post-defense is brutal. Refs let everything go. It's also kind of like a psychological phenomenon for refs. All of you guys who have played the game of basketball know this. If you are big and you try to inflict your bigness on a smaller defender, the ref is going to give the small guy a lot of leeway to hit you. 
That's just, it's a psychological phenomenon. It happens with every single ref that I've ever come into contact with or seen on television. It's just what happens. And in general right now in the NBA, post-defense is like the Wild West. Everything goes. That actively limits the capability of big men, especially in the playoffs when they start to swallow the whistle. The whistle. Like we talked about earlier, bigs need to be put in position by ball handlers so they're susceptible to ball denial. We saw this with the Sixers in the Miami Heat in this playoff run. Miami used a front system with backside help. So they would have whoever was guarding Embiid jump in front, squat down low, and stop the post entry. Sorry about that phone call from the wife. Sit in front and block the post entry and force the pass over the top. It's a lob pass. Miami would offer backside help to take that pass away. They were able to straight up deny Embiid the basketball in a lot of possessions. That is a problem with post-up players that you do not get with perimeter players who can simply dribble to where they want to go on the floor. Jokic and, ND, uh, Jokic and AD can bring the ball up the floor, but it's less than ideal and you don't want them running point for you all day. They're also slow to get to their spots and kind of methodical. The bottom line here is that in ideal conditions, any one of Anthony Davis or Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic can appear like they're the best player in the world in ideal conditions. But it's too easy to disrupt those conditions and expose their flaws. And that's why I prefer the bigger wings. Each one of the bigs that I mentioned on that list has huge, massive weaknesses. Carl Towns, lights out perimeter shooter. Same type of interior matchup nightmare but he's by far the worst defender of the group and he's a horrific passer. He had 27 turnovers to just 13 assists in this playoff run. Anthony Davis is the best defensive player in the group. He's immune to all of the foot speed stuff I was talking about, but he can't pass. And he's arguably the worst volume perimeter shooter in all of basketball right now. Joel Embiid is really good defensively around the rim, but he's weak on the perimeter. He also can't pass. And if you make him go outside of the restricted area, he's going to miss shots. He missed two-thirds of his shot attempts outside of the restricted area in this playoff run. Now, Jokic is the best of the group, but his jump shot is starting to fall apart lately. We talked about that in the list. And again, he is the biggest or most susceptible of all four of them to the foot speed stuff. He really struggles if you run him up and down the floor, and he really struggles if you make him defend away from the basket. Again, like I said, bigger wings, they can thrive in any pace, any type of game. They can set themselves up on offense so they're not dependent on ball handlers to get them into positions where they can be successful. And they're comfortable from all of these different spots on the floor. Again, like we talked about before, all of these archetypes have different strengths and weaknesses. However, for me personally, I think in terms of a coach game planning against a star, I would rather game plan against a big man like a Jokic or an Embiid, Anthony Davis or Carl Towns, than I would against a big scoring wing or a big playmaking wing. I think there are there are proven methods to attack the bigs. Whereas there's just ideas that, that you're just throwing stuff at the wall against these perimeter wings. And so again, that's just my basketball philosophy. There are going to be some GMs around the league that agree with me. And there are going to be some that think Jokic is the best player in the world. Nobody's got it all figured out. We all have our own basketball concepts. As is always the case, I'm always interested to read the comments and see what you guys think about the game. I pick the brains of basketball coaches and minds that I meet whenever I have a chance. This is just where I stand in my view of the game 
as of right now. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I appreciate your support. Don't forget to drop mailbag questions underneath the tweet that I send out later today, and I will see you guys on Wednesday. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.